0: Welcome back to Thinking About It. Uh, Today, our podcast is going to be without the voice of my good friend, Dr. David Barker. And uh, we are here uh, with uh, two special guests. One is uh, my good uh, friend, um, what's your name?
1: Andrew Noble. You know, my Andrew name. Noble. Yeah, Were I'm you thinking. thinking of so, I job got my. Title? I you am focused. Title I'm, on I'm focused on Kelly.
0: As I can't forget his name. So, start. I love it. I and love it. Andrew uh, Noble is a project manager of multiple things in our church, and he is coordinating a Christ in Culture conference. Just tell us a little bit about that, Andrew, before we get into our our special guest.
1: April 28th and 29th, Friday Saturday <laughs> combo, and uh, it's on hopeful living in an anxious age. So, mental health, anxiety. Loneliness, how do we have hope?
0: And uh, we have just an outstanding speaker. He's on the line right now, Dr. Kelly Kapick, the author of uh, Your Only Human, Christianity uh, Today Book of the Year Award. Mm-hmm. So people are reading his book. And uh, he's also professor of theology at Covenant College, Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Welcome to our podcast, Kelly.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. This is fun.
0: Yeah. Kelly is uh, coming to us from his uh, location. So I, th- I think the sound is going to be okay. Uh, Kelly, just a few questions um, that you can sure. help our listeners appreciate the enormity of this subject. And uh, in mm. your, in your two books, particularly your first book, You're Only Human, what, what's your burden? What's your message in that book that you, you want, you're saying?
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking. I, in some ways to put it as simply as possible, I think as Christians, we have confused being a creature with being a sinner. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a fancy way of saying that is we confuse finitude and sin. Now that sounds like a fancy word, but finitude just means limits of space, time, knowledge, and power. And when I say we've become, con- we've confused being a creature with being a sinner is I actually think we feel guilty and shame about our creaturely limits all the time. But God made us as creatures with limits. Even before there was sin in the world, and that our limits—not being able to be everywhere, know everything, do everything—is not bad. God's comfortable. So part of it is trying to explore what is the good part of our limits, and how God. What's the good part of being a, a creature and not being God?
0: So, what are some of the uh, ob- the outcomes or consequences of people not getting that right?
2: Yeah, I mean, it go. It, uh, thanks for asking. It, it kind of touches on almost all areas of life, but just an example that maybe some folks in the congregation can relate to a sign that we don't tend to understand. This is how busy we keep children now. (laughs) So we want children to be good at everything and we're trying to get them in all these different Mm -hmm. sports and they're always going to another activity and they always need to be doing, doing, doing. And, um, the kids are exhausted. The parents are stressed out. But there's, no, there's like no ability to get off of that. And so part of what I'm interested in is just asking, what's a Christian view of these things? Like activity is not a bad thing, but ceaseless activity, ceaseless, endless expectations becomes a big problem for us.
0: So you're not suggesting we strive for mediocrity?
2: No, but it is interesting. I know that word sounds terrible, but what does it mean to be the best? at everything or to be the best at anything right yeah. so we do need to be able to work hard excellence is something that matters to christians but we have to carefully think through those things right um i remember talking to a world-renowned uh, hebrew scholar who's a serious christian a guy named bruce walkie yeah. uh, published a ton two phds and he told me years ago and this was one of the things that influenced my thinking he's like i don't actually think a serious devout Christian could probably ever be the best Hebrew scholar, Old Testament scholar in the world today. And I was like, I was deeply offended. I'm like, no, no, no. But what he was trying to say is, in our world right now, the amount of time and devotion you would have to give to it, you couldn't have a family because of values we have as Christians. Anyways, it's just there is something about like, yeah, we need to think about excellence. I, I, I actually now, the language I prefer is faithfulness. Because I think excellence or being the best changes the Christian narrative. I think we need to ask, what does faithfulness look like?
0: And you, you different people, different skills. A, you you know. think there's a lot of uh, Christians suffering guilt or they, they just feel their failure because they've got this idea they've got to be excellent?
2: Well, I don't. I don't know if they, that's a good question. I don't know if they tend to use, I don't hear the word excellent a lot on this. But I do feel a lot of Christians who feel guilty. And I know business people and stay-at-home parents, uh, teenagers and elderly who feel guilty for not being enough and for not doing enough. And it can be expectations from parents or children, whatever it is, from bosses, but they just cannot keep up with the endless expectations. And they feel like, well, if I'm a Christian, I should be good at all these things and I should be able to do everything. But what if, what if you're actually... What if it's actually impossible? One of the things we'll talk about.
1: Hmm. And what about like this idea of rest? Like, I think it's supposed to be important, but it's an old Testament thing. Is that the <laughs> solution is, is rest the solution is Sabbath, the solution. How, how do we get around this, this idea mm. of finitude and, and is it embracing rest? Is that one of the ways
2: to, I mean, around? rest. Yeah. Rest is, uh, I do think it's part of it. I, um, but it's not just rest. Some of it's learning, to, learning how to work. What does that look like? How does faithfulness? But, yeah, it, it's not like we should have nine commandments. We have ten. Um, and, but, but the problem is you start talking about Sabbath rest and people, depending on their background, it, understandably get worried about legalism. But let's just leave all the legalism aside. And let, now, we're not going to get into that, exactly what you should do. What should, but if you just say, you know, God actually just made us from the beginning, to work for six days and a, a, a one in seven pattern of work and rest and that kind of thing, sunrise and sunset. You're not supposed to work at all hours. There, there are ways that God made the world and we can feel it in our bodies and in our relationships when we don't honor those things because it, it, you know, it starts to have implications. Uh, we're holistic creatures and so it starts to affect us in holistic ways.
0: We have a, uh... I think a number of pastors, <clears throat> church leaders who listen uh, to our podcast, mm. and if I'm hearing this in their shoes, I'm just thinking of how pastors, because it's the Lord's work, we got to do it yeah. all, we got to excel at it all, we got to be good counselors, preachers, administrators. Um, do you think that might be, is that a thing, and is it contributing yeah. to uh, the shortage that we have in long-term pastorage today?
2: Oh, yeah, you you just hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, some of the most significant letters and notes I'm getting in conversation I'm having are with pastors around the country and elsewhere who are reading it, and they're saying exactly what, what what you're at there. And there have been some informal surveys, and so I can't they're they're not totally peer reviewed. I can't use them in that way, but you you can survey congregations and say, how many hours a week do you think your pastor should do sermon prep? And how many hours do you think they should do marriage thing, you know, marriage? And how many hours should they do vision? Whatever. And you, and if you create a survey in such a way that they don't realize they're doing it, there have been times that people will list like, well, they think they're being generous and you add it up and it's like a hundred hours in a week or 110 hours,
1: <laughs> but they have
2: no idea. And so that just means you're destined to feel like a failure all the time because it's just literally irrational. But we don't even realize it. And because it's spiritual and we've spiritualized right. it and not appreciated the fact that we're creatures, we've made it very hard to say in a godly way, I can't do that.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I even think about it like when I was working through your book thinking about it for me from a knowledge perspective, I'm trying to prepare to be Mm. a pastor. I graduated with an MDiv and I'm like, I know nothing. Like I'm supposed to be an expert Mm. on social justice, on environmental issues. I need to thread the needle on sexuality in the 21st century. This is hard. And how do you do it? And so I'm like, okay, I just need to know the right people to point others to sometimes. And and it's kind of like building a resource library, but there, there also seems to be an application from a finitude of knowledge. Um, what are yeah. some other applications of how we might think of ourselves as finite?
2: Um, yeah, there's all kinds. I mean, one that is, matters to me a lot is, and, and can help, I think, us understand, is, is the question of humility. So Christians, we all know we're supposed to be humble, but if you ask Christians why we should be humble— Our default without thinking is, well, because we're sinners. And that has often showed up in the history of the church. I'm a theologian. I believe we're sinners. I think it's a serious problem. I'm not trying to downplay sin. But what you find in the history of the church is when you build the idea or the the doctrine of humility on the foundation of sin, it actually distorts the whole thing. Hmm. So that the way people can grow in humility is by focusing on what bad sinners they are. This produces things like self-hatred, distorted, There are all, all kinds of problems. But if you actually go, no, in the garden, before there was any sin or fall, were Adam and Eve supposed to be humble? Well, the answer is actually, you think about it, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Because Adam and Eve were created, before their sin or fall, they were created mm-hmm. to be dependent on God, dependent on others, their neighbor, and dependent on the earth. Dependence is part of the good of how God made us. Now, think about that in Mark. Western cultures, the word dependence. Like Mm -hmm. if I I, if I'm talking to Andrew and I'm like, yeah, I got to know Bob a little bit. That guy's really dependent on a lot of people. Does that ever sound like a compliment in our culture? No. How do you cultivate Christian discipleship when fundamental to being a good creature in which God made is cultivating dependence on God? Name and the way it relates to humility is if you build it on a right understanding of being a creature of finitude, then all of a sudden you realize humility doesn't just say, I'm sorry, and can you forgive me? It says those things. But humility also says, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Can you help me? <laughs> yeah. And, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what you were getting to in terms of like, yeah. I, I don't know everything. And in ministry, for example, we're tempted for all kinds of good and bad reasons to pretend that we know everything, and we don't. Mm-hmm. And and it's okay to say, I, but if you don't have some view of creatureliness and that saying I don't know isn't always bad, then you can never say it with a clean conscience. It's just like, well, I'm I'm a failure. And you're like, no. Sometimes it's actually good to say, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can learn together.
1: Yeah, and another application too is the when you pull out on on sanctification, the idea mm. that sanctification happens over a long process, sometimes not a short process. And I've thought about it. You yep. know, we're we're on our phones every day, and there's the tap tap, click click, and then there you go, we're, we're getting our immediate response as soon as we tap our phones, we get yeah, we yeah. Want, and we expect sanctification to be like that. We expect it to be fast. How should we think about sanctification?
2: Yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, great point. It, it's related to this whole idea of creation, that no matter where you are in terms of how you think, how you think God created the world and when you think God created the world, what all of us need to agree is The Genesis narrative says it takes six days, right? Seven days. Whether it's 24 hours or long periods is irrelevant. What's interesting is we would all agree God could have made it in a millisecond, Mm -hmm. and he didn't. Mm -hmm. So that means from the beginning, God's always been comfortable with process. Mm -hmm. And so if the God of creation is comfortable with process, the God of sanctification is comfortable with process. Mm -hmm. And he who began a good work in us is going to see it to completion. And that's important. Because if you don't understand that, then every day your only option as a Christian, since we sin every day, is, I've really disappointed God again. Rather than, God sees our sin, but he's doing something. And he, we are in process, and he's comfortable with that. So
0: humility is to say, this is where God has put me. This is the ministry mm-hmm. that he's given to me. Um, I'm going to do as best I can by his grace and not covet mm-hmm. someone else's uh, skill mm-hmm. to, to be happy. In my, mm. Like in the Garden of Eden, uh, to be happy with the limitations that were placed mm. on them, and just to say, "This is this is good. I'll enjoy it."
2: Mm. Yeah, and, yeah. Really learning to see who we are, where we are at. What what does faithfulness look like? Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, can you just touch on the idea that God likes us? I remember in reading it 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah, you don't have much time. Maybe people have well, to come to the conference to hear that unpacked.
2: Yeah, I mean, the part of learning to be a creature and, and testing whether or not we're comfortable with that is, you know, if you ask most Christians, if you ask us, does God love us? We all very quickly respond, yes. Of course he loves us. But I find, because I deal with college students on a regular basis, if I ask them, do your parents love you? They say yes. And then if I ask, do your parents like you? Mm-hmm. It's amazing how often they start to weep. Mm-hmm. And the same thing applies. We say God loves us. But do we believe he likes us with our particular personality? Not, not, I'm not saying does he like our sin. Right. But he's interested in killing our sin because he loves us and likes us. And sin distorts us.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Kelly, uh, we just got into this, uh, but if, look, if you're looking at the clock, we are running out of time. We do like to keep okay. our podcast down to 15 minutes because our, our, our listeners, listeners are, are in, they're, they're in cars or something like that. Age. So yeah. uh, hang on, and uh, we're going to do another number for our folks for the next week's uh, podcast. But until then, I am, I am here with uh, Andrew Noble. <laughs> Andrew Noble's my And uh, Kelly Kapick. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.
1: Bye now.